All right, welcome. Hello, what's going on? Rich Ryan here, Reinforced Running Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to bring this interview we had with VJ Jones. So the idea was to talk about some off-season prep and what a champion like VJ Jones does to better himself year over year. So we definitely get into that, but I wanted to start with just talking about the U.S. National Series, the final race at Big Bear, and get his perspective on the mental preparation that he needed going into that race, kind of how he took some setbacks and, and made sure that he shored things up. And uh, VJ is a true tactician, and he share is very honest with and sharing about the things that he does in his preparation to make sure that he uh, is as confident as he can be going into race day. So really love the conversation here. And then we talk about some of the mechanical things that he does, some of the metabolic testing that he does and that he offers as a professional. So chock full of awesome content here from one of the best. And according to Jack Bauer's rankings, the best, the best OCR athlete that we have in the game. So before we get to that, it's t-shirt time. So a reminder, if you leave Reinforced Running five stars and drop a review in Apple iTunes, the if your review gets read on the air, we will give, send you out a free t-shirt. So today, uh, and these are weird to read. I thought I would like, I don't like reading them. It feels just very self-boasting, but I need to, I need to just get over that. Or maybe I just need to hire somebody to do this for me. So this one is reinforced is the best. It says Rich brings great perspective to what's going on in OCR. He's competing it with the top athletes, knows what's going on in current races and and knows many of the other athletes in the game. I love how Rich shares his expertise on how to execute these virtual races. Rich brings up brings on up and coming athletes in the ranks with torque talks. So appreciate that. It's from our friend Bubbles the Clown. So we'll shoot a message out to him, making sure that he gets his free t-shirt. So if you want a free t-shirt, drop us five stars, hit us with a review, uh, great quality t-shirts that would be awesome to work out. And so enough of that. It's time. VJ Jones. All right, we're on. VJ Jones, thanks for joining me today, man. Of course. Thanks for having me on, man. So well, I have a lot to cover. I want to talk about some of the off-season prep that you have, some of these services that you're moving into and how you can kind of really help some of the athletes that want to learn a little bit more about themselves and some of like the ways that they can do that outside of just, you know, hitting it hard in terms of training and also some of like your, the, your personal experiences and things that you're going to plan to do going forward. But I do want to touch on what just happened the past couple of weeks because you had a couple awesome races, and I'm I'm excited to kind of chat with you about them. When um when we we last time we talked, it was right after Jacksonville, and this time it's right after Big Bear. So first of all, congrats, man! How are you feeling? Thank you. Uh, a couple weeks removed from such a cool accomplishment. Uh, I feel really good. Um, I look back on the season, and I'm just like super happy with everything I accomplished. I, I'm not like uh, really disappointed in anything. I mean, I made some mistakes. Uh, and a couple events along the way, but overall, like I'm really happy with how I performed and how I developed this year. Uh, kind of took a different approach to training and things like that, and um, it's been it's been really good. The the way that you won the the national series, right? It kind of came down to this showdown, which was great from a spectator standpoint. It was like, okay, totally. Atkins won two, VJ's won two. It's just one last race, and the course that it was on wasn't necessarily something that would be in your wheelhouse historically. I mean, it's like one of the nastiest mountain courses that we have. And I know that you've been training and doing a lot of mountain stuff. You're living at altitude now. So like that you've been preparing to do well in these type of races, but did it feel affirming to win on a course like that rather than something like if it was like Arizona or like an LA race, which is like right up your wheelhouse, which people have a hard time dealing with you ever, but having it be on a course like this, did that 
did that feel extra good that it was like that? There were, there were two things that made that really awesome. Um, I mean, one, yes, being on a mountain course it was really cool to finally like have that big breakthrough when that really counted. Um, I think I've been a good climber in the past. It's just that every mountain race has always been at altitude and I was living at sea level. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to, to bridge that for me. And now that I've been living at altitude and going to big bear, it was like being at home. It was fine. Um, and I kind of changed my strategy, uh, as far as how power hiking goes. Um, I was power hiking, um, with these big, long strides historically. Like if you watch Atkins power hike, he takes these huge steps when he power Mm -hmm. hikes and he must have like just really strong hamstrings to be able to like sustain that. And I wasn't quite as strong in that way. So if you look during the uh, broadcast, I'm taking these pretty small, faster steps when I'm power hiking, almost like running steps, but I'm just trying to like pace myself and, and shift the load to my quads a little more versus loading my hamstrings and pulling myself up really hard. Um, and that was really, really big for me. Uh, when you look back at OCR worlds and the 15 K mm-hmm. when we got on that long climb, my hamstring started to go out about halfway up the climb and I just fell back. Like I couldn't move. Uh, so I changed my strategy a little bit and it paid off really well. I think the fitness was there. I just, uh, had to like, utilize a, a different strategy and that was really good um yeah and that was something that i did i was curious about like if it was a direct feedback from that 15k at in vermont right it's like and so were you just practicing and playing around with how your legs felt during the the climbs like okay if i step like this i'm not getting as blown up in the hamstrings or was it something you had thought about or just testing around different things on some like steep climbs in like the area so I knew my fitness was good enough, right? And right. Um, after the 15K, it was kind of just disappointing knowing that I had the fitness to win that race and I just completely blew up and fell really far back. Um, so after like changing up the strategy a little bit, uh, that was the only thing I did. I didn't do many workouts uh, in the like weeks between OCR Worlds and Big Bear. It was pretty much just focusing on like the strategy of how to get up the climbs and not have the issues. Hmm. Um, and you know, that's a strength I need to work on. I definitely need to get some more strength in these hamstrings cause they are just lacking heavily. But, um, it, it was pretty much finding a strategy that was really sustainable for me as far as power hiking goes. Um, and, and I did a lot of power hiking and, and steep climbing, uh, more for the technique of it than like the, the conditioning. Cause I wasn't really going to develop a lot past, um, you know, a a couple weeks out. Right. And like, you're, you seem to be a tactician when it comes to racing strategies. And one thing that did really stand out to myself when I was watching the broadcast and and even, you know, Makita, when he was going through the broadcast kind of mentioned, it's like, you know, VJ is running his own race here. And a lot of times we do see you kind of dictate things from the front and, or even if you're running your own race, you still happen to be there. Have you run a race in this way that you've been able to make a decisive move in the late stages? Like that was almost like, a finishing kick, you know, which you don't get to see too much in OCR, right? It was like picking my, pick your spots and then just hammer or were you just really focusing on executing that plan of the smaller strides and you just found yourself where you needed to be or how'd you kind of plan out that, that race plan there? Um, it was, I knew they were going out super hot because I remember like watching the big bear race in 2019 
because I just spectated the beast and then I came back and did the sprint the next day. But I watched right. these guys go out for, you know, an over two hour event and they were flying up the first climb and uh, they did it again. All these guys took off super, super hot. And I knew like, that's not sustainable. Like, I don't know how long they're going to do that, but like, no way. And I knew if I did that, I would blow up and it was going to be over for me. So I, I'd rather like be sustainable and consistent on the climbs and then really work the descents. Hmm. Um, so I just kind of paced it out, stayed where I was. I don't like a couple people came by me and I just let it happen uh, on that first climb. And they put a good like 30 to 45 seconds on me on just that first climb. Mm-hmm. And they, they hammered it all the way to like the sandbag carry and through that. But I knew we had a lot of race left. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of mental stuff was going on where like I needed to win this event. I was so far off the lead, but I was just going to kind of stick with it. We descended, started that next climb. And I, um, you know, I was disconnected like pretty heavily. Yeah. And I think they hit that second climb really hard too. But then about like a third into the climb, I started seeing people a little bit, just catching glimpses. So I knew like, just stay consistent. I still feel really good. That last descent can be like really good. Like I wanted to channel a little bit of like my inner Johnny and mm-hmm. really just fly down the hill and it, what happens happens. But we got to this last like steep part of the climb, which is on a real wide open ski slope um, right next to the lift. And it was all open, no trees, no twists, no turns, just straight up the mountain. And I could see everybody. And I was actually closer to Atkins than I was earlier in the race. I was actually closing on that climb. And mm-hmm. that's where I like, I, I had a huge confidence boost knowing that I had gained a little bit on him uphill. So I knew like I was in a great position. So as soon as we crested the top, I'm really bummed that they didn't have cameras on me um, on the top of the mountain. Cause I was like full send. Um, like I hit these obstacles. I might've touched, I think I only touched beater once or twice. Like I was full, just jumping through everything and hitting the ground in a, like a full, like, like 5k pace type of stuff, uh, ready to like make a move. Cause I saw Atkins duking it out with somebody else and I wanted to close up and get like a two for one pass right there. Um, I didn't really get it, but started working the descent and I sold out like a lot harder than I have probably ever. It was, it was brutal. And that was something that you said in, in terms of that, like right after the race, it was like, that was the hardest that you've ever had to work for a, a win. And you've won a lot, right? And, and a lot of times <clears throat> there, there are things, like I said, you, you dictate from the front and you can just, you might not even need to be decisive a lot of times. It's just like your fitness just kind of gets you there. Your skill kind of make creates separation. Was there, did this kind of, turn a light on for you like what the effort is actually needed to be versus what it's been in the past to win like these championship type races well i've had you know moments like this like there there are few moments that happen along the way um but they're very very memorable when you really turn yourself inside out and you give everything like that only happens a couple times in your career if people say they do it all the time they're lying like it's not a thing it's hard to channel Um, something like that like for sure and this was like a huge opportunity for me uh, for many reasons like the u.s national series was on the line Uh, my first like mountain race that i could win was on the line and then also like going against one of the best racers we've ever had in sport 
you know, and honestly, the guy that's pretty much the gatekeeper for if you want to win the U.S. National Series, you have to beat him. Mm -hmm. That was really, really cool, too. So I think ultimately I wanted it more than he did. Um, I I was because I think there's some things that he could have done where he could have, you know, made a little a little more of a gap and it would have made it a lot harder on me to catch him. Um, but I, I really wanted it because like, if you watch the broadcast, I dry heave like two or three times on the way down the mountain, like I just <laughs> see my body convulse and then I just keep going after that. So that happened a couple times. And, um, when we got on the bucket and I came by him and, or basically when he picked up the bucket and I saw him not run with it right off the bat, I knew I was in a good place. Hmm. And, I was able to make the pass and then just like bomb down. And after I put that bucket down, I was pretty much seeing red. Like it was, it was pretty much a blur. I don't remember a lot of what happened. All I knew was like, I had the lead and all I need to do is hold it. So I threw myself into the, the mud pits and like rolled through the barbed wire, which was extremely painful. Like there's so many rocks and stuff under there, but it was just like, go as fast as you can and, and hang on. Because we were even able, like, even on that whole last descent where you kind of put your body in a place that <laughs> it was almost, it was really trying to tell you to slow down. It's like, hey, man, slow down. We're going to, or we're going to make you throw up. You got to chill out here. Were you even, what were you thinking about in this? Was there motivation in those moments or were you just like trying to stay as present as possible with what you were doing? Or was there a constant like loop in your head about like the US National Series or like how much you wanted it? Like, what, what are you thinking in these like last stages? Uh, I wasn't thinking too much of anything. Like I only had, it, it didn't matter if I finished, you know, fourth or third, you know, it wouldn't have changed my result in the series. And ultimately like it didn't really matter. Uh, but first place was the thing like get first or just don't get anything really. That's where mm-hmm. my mind was at. Um, and that's, that's what I gunned for. Like when I saw everybody in front of me, it didn't really like I wasn't like calculating anything. It was like, there's people right there in front of me. I can pass them. I'm going to do whatever it takes to do that. And that was, that was all I thought, like catch those bodies. That was it. So you were, you were staying as present as possible, right? Like just doing what the thing you need to do in that specific moment to just further what you, you could accomplish in that. Was that, was that, were you mentally prepared for, for that? Is that something that you prepare for in your training in terms of like staying present in these moments or something that you've done in other races or was it different than other races? Like in terms of mindset, or are you typically like that? I'd say I was very different from a normal race. Like I am usually um, very uh, methodical in the way that I approach things. And, um, you know, I usually am very like mentally present as far as what's going on in a race and how I'm going to move. And I'm always thinking about it. Uh, I'd say this was one of the most like just emotional race experiences that I've had. Like I was probably, I was very aware and, uh, you know, thinking about everything through the climbs and everything like that. But as soon as we started that descent and I started catching people, that's when it, well, I wasn't thinking about anything there. I couldn't tell you what was going through my mind other than like, just keep pushing, like just go. Cause I was closing on everybody and it was a great opportunity there to like catch them. And that's all I could think about. That's all it was. It was like probably like 98% emotionally driven to like get past those people. Do you think that's something that you could then harness? Like, are you going to try to race this way now more in the future? Or is it things like same thing, like, picking your spots and like when you need to really dig to these points. Cause I mean, 
how many times do you think you really could do something or an effort like that in a year? Like four, two, you two. know, like, honestly, <laughs> yeah. I think those are limited efforts in a, across a career. Mm. Um, and I think it, it, it has to be very specific situations that create that, you know, it's, I think it was a very unique, uh, you know, situation for me and, and an opportunity that kind of created that, that state of mind that I was in. Um, I don't know if it's something you can channel all the time. And I like being a very like methodical and tactical racer. Like mm. I, I like that about myself and, um, I probably won't change the way that I approach racing and the way that I approach training and everything like that. But, you know, it was a very cool experience. And I know now that I know like that stuff's there, like it'll, it'll probably happen again, but it'll take a, a big moment, you know? And then you, you made mention to the, the 15 K at, at OCR world championships. And so when we spoke at the beginning of the year, it was like, yeah, OCR world championships, three K that's the main goal. You want to be that world championship at that point. And like you accomplished that. Right. And then, yep. but that 15 K race still happened. And, and from the outside, I was like, okay, VJ's probably the favorite for this race. Uh, considering the the uh, the field that was there and just like the fitness that you were in, so did like how much motivation played into the the Big Bear race and the end of the Spartan series from the OCR World Championship race? Did you and did you feel like that weekend was a success or was it like that 15k was kind of looming over you? Um, it was disappointing just because. It wasn't where I finished. Like if I had put out a strong race effort and I felt good about it, I still would have been okay with it. You mm -hmm. know, like I look back at, you know, Seattle in 2019, that's one of my best performances of all time. And I didn't win that race, but I was still very proud of the effort that I put out. Um, and I don't see fit the 15 K at OCR worlds as like a strong showing for myself. Uh, I could have done a lot better at that race. Uh, I executed wrong and you know, it is what it is. Um, but it definitely was like a motivating factor to just like identify the weaknesses that happened there. Um, because the fitness felt good. Like I felt like I was capable of that and I just, I don't know, I, I executed wrong and I'm okay with that because, uh, you know, the three K was the goal and leaving that weekend, I came away with three of four podiums, right? <laughs> you know, there were four races. I finished on three of the podiums. So, I'm cool. I'm cool with that. I'm, I mean, it was the main goal was the three K and the 15 K was like extra credit. So I ultimately left with what I wanted to do and I'm, I'm happy with it. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. It's like more like the effort and the execution part, which is how we would, is how I really want to approach my races and how like the athletes I coach the same thing. It's like the outcome doesn't matter. Right. But the process in, in that race if you can look back and be proud of that, like, then that's a success for those things. But then going into was because there, there are some people, right. That think that you all, can only do well on short course stuff, that you're like a short course specialist. I don't think the athletes within the sport, like myself and, you know, Brack and Jack, when we talk about like these races and things like that, I don't believe that that's a narrative that is, that exists. Like we know what your fitness is and we know the fitness of these other athletes. But after something like that, where it's like, okay, the short course you won, the longer course you didn't win, do you believe these type of things? Is that a thought that you have? Like, oh, maybe I am just better at short stuff, or maybe I'm not good at the mountains type of thing? Well, I've been pretty open about what I think I can do. Um, racing in that, like, hour range, I think I'm as good as anybody. Like, I can race with anyone in the world. 
uh, an OCR in an hour long race. Um, no matter the terrain, just no, no matter the, the terrain, distance. like even, yeah. yeah, it's the time. It's the mm-hmm. time that really gets to me and looking at OCR worlds like that was going to be a 90 minute race. And if you look, I probably crumbled right around that hour mark hmm. or somewhere leading into an hour. And I, and I, I messed up on the climb and I just had a bad strategy. I think if I would have power hiked the same way that I did in big bear, it probably would have been a different race. Um, and if I would have brought some freaking hydration, of course, <laughs> there's no water until like, you know, seven miles in. It was humid, so, right? It was like humid day. It's probably it was a sweaty hot. day. It was a yeah. hot day. So, uh, but yeah, there was some mistakes there and that's what it is. But right now my fitness is good for an hour long race. And if that's like flat, mountainous, whatever, like I'm capable of it and I can handle it. Um, and I think that's just the way I've, I've trained. I haven't trained for the longer events because being a 3k champion and being, you know, a beast champion, those are two different athletes, mm-hmm. even though like historically the same athlete will win both of those as more people come into the sport, you cannot be both. And I think I'm proof of that to where like I've focused on this and I'm untouchable in it. I haven't been beat in a short course and you know, I'm not claiming to be able to win a beast, but like if I signed up for West Virginia, not a chance that I would have won because that's not the athlete that I was trying to build. Mm-hmm. So I think people need to start focusing a little bit more. Um, I think it's an awesome thing to try to be good at everything, but ultimately you'll be 90% at everything rather than being a hundred percent in your field. Right. Right. And that's something that, uh, I was talking to somebody with too. It's like, if you're not 100% in, in one, in one field, someone else is going to be right. And so like you'll only be 90%. There's someone else who is just going to focus on that one thing. And that's going to be uh, a barrier in your, in your place as well. If you really want to perform at at the highest level. Um, so that's one thing that I was thinking when you at the big bear race is like, man, like I want, I want to, I wanted you to win really bad just so that narrative could just not be in, in, in place anymore, right? It's like, no, this dude's fit. You can do a lot of different distance, a lot of different terrains. How long did the Big Bear race take? Like an hour and <laughs> seconds. It was right right at 60 minutes. It was perfect. That's probably when – that's why you started seeing red. Right at that 60 – It went over the hour one, and I didn't know what I was going to do. Then, then your body was like, hold on. Um, so, I mean, like pushing up against it and the terrain is, is around that too because I wasn't sure if that was something that you felt – I mean, I know you've been pushing really hard to become better in the mountains and you're living in that type of uh, the terrain as well. So, I wasn't sure if you – did consider it to be more of a, a flat course racer, but it doesn't sound like that was necessarily something that's on your mind, right? No, no. Um, yeah, I think I do have like a lot of speed when it comes to the flats. Um, not necessarily, I don't think I have as much as you do, but I'm hoping to get there. <laughs> flats and road, um, just road flats, not even flat. Well, anything. that's one, that's one big thing I want to focus on next year. It's like, um, people keep asking me if I'm going to start doing longer races next year. And I don't think I will. I think I'm going to stay in my lane for another year and try to get more dominant and, and a lot faster in this realm. Like I want to hit good 5k time trials. I want to um, actually get some speed because you don't need to be that fast in OCR. No. Like I remember like there was a lot of hype behind a couple athletes that were running, you know, like 15 flat or sub 15 5ks going into Jacksonville. And they weren't even at the front of the race at any point that I remembered. Um, so it was, it was kind of a interesting, like realization there that there's always some fast guy that gets a lot of hype coming into OCR, but it's a different kind of fitness. 
Um, I went out right after Jacksonville and I ran a 5K here in Colorado Springs. Admittedly, it was at altitude, but I didn't. I didn't even break 16. Hmm. Yeah, five, I mean that's that's probably. But I mean that's what do you get for a 5K at altitude? Like 30 seconds or something? Would you say? I'm not sure. Jack Bauer, no. That's a Jack Bauer question, but it's something yeah. usually like maybe I. I I forget because the shorter it is, less good. So say it's 20 seconds even, but still, right? Um, and yeah, so when you are kind of reflecting on a season like this, is there a process that you go into to then determine where you do want to spend your time? Because it sounds like you are looking to focus on some more of the, the speed stuff. Do you look at the season as a whole or is it something that you intuitively feel like you want to work on? Like how do you know where you're going to spend your time in like the off season or where you want to spend your focus the next season? Well, I, I really want to get like, usually people get fast and then they elongate that speed over time. Right. Um, I feel like I really stopped trying to get faster after high school, right? Hmm. Like high school was just, you know, um, cross country and track and it was all about getting faster speed. And then when we got into OCR, like it was pretty much like, I have to be able to race two or three times as long as I currently do. And that was the main goal. And I kind of maintained that speed, but I never progressed past that because I never focused on it. So now it's, uh, I want to take the opportunity now that I, I have good fitness and um, kind of focus more on, on aerobic development this year. I really want to like nail some speed workouts and um, like, I, I want to hit like a couple good road races nice. and I want to do some just like trail racing as well next year. Um I feel like OCR, it's it's awesome, but things are definitely changing for next year. Um, you won't see me outside of a championship race in OCR. Like I won't. I'm not going to do anything except probably U.S. National Series and like World Championships. Nice. And all the basically all the other racing is just going to be trail racing or road racing. Like I really want to work on the running side specifically because, um, you know, I feel like it, I, I have potential there and I really want to find that. That's something that I haven't pursued since I got into OCR of just being a good runner while still maintaining it. It's always been like, I want to be the best obstacle racer, which I still do, but I feel like I can be faster and I can, I can really develop that side of my fitness too. This is something I think about sometimes is like having the well-rounded piece, but not necessarily needing to have well-rounded performances right like having extraordinary performances on something like a road race and still being able to take that and bring it into ocr and still do well and on and both both sides and i think that a lot of athletes who've been in it for a while now are capable of doing that like you're a great example of that that could be it's like oh this dude can run 14 35 on a road but he's not a road running athlete he's an obstacle course race athlete and he's dominant in that in that field what, but because, and also along those lines, you ran pretty fast in that mile last year at OCR Stars. Were you like 426 or something? 425? I think it was 426, yeah. Was that a PR? Yeah, I hadn't run a mile since high school. So that was pretty good. <laughs> and that's like in, in like one or two efforts, right? And like it takes time to get good at, at a race like that. Like it's like, so you probably had like 421 fitness at that point. That How fast? How fast would you want to, like, what do you, what is fast for you? Like, what do you think you'd want to, what do you think is reasonable? I mean, I'm not world-class by any means, but I would have to do some time trials to like get my body used to that style of racing because mm -hmm. I'm really good at just running intervals now. Like that's what OCR is. You just run intervals mm -hmm. the whole race. Um, so if you can do intervals with pull-ups during your rest, then you're a great obstacle racer. Um, 
I would say like a 1440 in the 5K would be really cool for me. That would be kind of where I'm aiming for. I'd love to go sub 15. Uh, I feel like that's an attainable goal. And then I'm also going to hop in some mountain races. I'm looking at some Cirque series for next year. Oh, nice. Um, and I might even hop in like an Xterra triathlon as well. Um, I try. Can you swim? I've been taking lessons nice. uh, with uh, Jack Bauer's girlfriend is a fantastic swimmer and a good coach. Huh. She's been helping me out. Um, I'd say my swimming has improved a lot. I mean, I still like, I still suck, but <laughs> if I can just get comfortable with that. So after my rib heals again, I was swimming probably three or four times a week, um, over the, like a two or three week period. And then I had my rib issue. So hopefully this week or next week I can start really like putting more work into that again. Hmm. Um, I'm putting in like a big swim block to see if I can swim well enough to where I would feel comfortable hopping into an Xterra because my mountain biking is pretty good. My uh, running is good enough to be in an, like Xterra paces. I just need to not sink in the water. Right. I've, and when I was in college, I started to swim as like cross training, a supplemental training to my mileage. And I got in the best shape that I ever was in. Like just the low impact aerobic stuff it changed my body composition quite a bit too. It's, it's like – I'd love to kind of get back into it. So I think it's a worthwhile endeavor, but yeah, it's just so technical. Yeah. Yeah. It's all technique driven. Uh, but I like that. Like that, that's where I came from, from running, you know, like really dialing in mechanics and making sure everything was, uh, you know, working. So making, seeing the swimming is more like that. Like it's almost all technique based. Yeah. And then, you know, the fitness is only like 20% of it. Like you could be the fittest guy in the water, and if you can't swim as well as the guy next to you, like, then you're going to get destroyed. Means means nothing. There's parallels to that for OCR too, right? Like, and that was actually happened to me this past weekend. This dude, like, uh, I raced at City Field, and fitness wise, the guy who beat me named Isaac Lacey, I beat him like by two minutes in a three mile in OCR in OCR stars, yeah. and he still beat me in in the race because he had, he was sharp on in stadiums and knew the technique of it, right? And that seems to be across all these things. Like the best runner, like you mentioned at Jacksonville, like it doesn't always matter unless they have that that technique. So swimming would be a nice little change of pace to um, just to dial in that technique and just to it's just more proof of concept than too. And when you're plotting out these races. Um, and you have like a couple of different like goals here. Are you going to put them in specific parts in the season? Like, okay, speed early in the season or is there, or, or speed late in the season, or are you going to base it around where the, the races that you want to attack are, or is it just going to be uh, a season long focus on, on kind of all these elements or how do you, how, how do you plan on like, okay, I want to run a fast 5k early or is it, does it matter? Or do you look at it like that? I'm probably going to go for the 5K in the summertime, um, kind of mid-year. That's that's kind of what I'm looking at. Um, and, I mean, we don't have the full U.S. National Series announced yet, so I really don't know how things are going to shake out. Mm -hmm. um, I pretty much have, like, just an idea board that's over there um, of just, like, races that I kind of want to do, races that I know I really should do, and they're going to kind of, like, shake out how it goes. But this year I did – most of my racing this year on like one intensity day a week. Mm -hmm. Most of it was aerobic development and just being finding a way to be really consistent in a slightly higher volume than I normally do. Because hmm. uh, I've tried to build volume historically and something always happens. Like I, I mentally check out or I just 
I don't know. It's never stuck. And this is the first year that like consistent aerobic work has really stuck through a year. And I, I can't deny like the results that I've seen. I feel amazing. Um, so I'm going to kind of continue on that path and try to build a little more volume in this off season here. And then, um, yeah, start trying to just introduce a little more speed, but have plotted like time trials and stuff, uh, and really focus on the run work. Cause most of my run work is completely like, uh, segregated from my strength work. Like I haven't been doing a lot of like OCR specific stuff. I only did some before OCR worlds and before Hilderbot. And I would do like two to three weeks of, you know, intervals with obstacles mixed in or, you know, like a compromised running type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I consider that a sharpening thing. It's more like from my experience, I think it's more of a nervous system thing, getting your body used to handling those demands. Like your body's fitness is, it is what it is. Um, so when people don't specifically prepare themselves for that sort of thing, uh, that's when they usually fall apart. Like, so I think of it as, as sharpening, doing that skill work, leading into an event kind of specific to it. Cause you can get those nervous system adaptations pretty quick, right? Like the aerobic development pieces take forever. You know, yeah, so you gotta spend a long, long time term. doing it. Right. So that's, that's a, I like that approach too. Cause I think about that. It's like, how fit are these compromised intervals really making you over versus just like hitting very run specific workouts where you can really kind of sit in a specific area to get those, uh, metabolic adaptations that you're hoping for so you've kind of found that that is that what you mean when your intensity piece is like you'll just do specific workouts where you're it's going to improve your fitness hopefully and then you'll sharpen into just doing some ocr stuff exactly yeah so like when i'm when i'm developing energy systems i'm developing energy systems and that's just how it is and then i want to fine tune what i've built to a specific task when it gets closer to that time so I'm not doing OCR workouts all the time. Like I'm doing strength training and I'm doing run work and, uh, you know, other like cross training things, but you don't, you won't see me like, you know, doing compromised workouts, uh, on a weekly basis all year. It's mm-hmm. pretty much, I'm going to do specific, like fitness specific stuff, like just for the energy systems, just for that kind of conditioning and then sharpen towards the workouts or the competitions that we get into specific to each competition. Are you doing that similar with trail work as well? Or, are, or have you found that you can develop your energy system pretty well over trails? Cause that's something where I, I, I like to be on roads just so I know nothing's going to interfere with what, with how, with the pace where I need to be with everything that needs to happen to make sure that I do get those, those gains that I'm looking for when I get on a trail that to, to me, that's more like a skill because I need to hone that where I'm not mm-hmm. very developed in it. So if I was looking at it from that perspective, I would be like, okay, then I would sharpen up my nervous system or my skill with trail work over that. Are you separating the trail stuff with the interval stuff or are you doing that over? Are you skilled enough over like very terrain that you can really kind of set yourself into a really uh, good pace over most trail? I'm good but it has to be kind of specific to the workout. Like if I'm going out for like more of a threshold effort, I'm not going to go where there's like a big climb in the middle of the workout because Mm -hmm. that would just completely change everything. Um, but I do a lot of workouts on the trail. Uh, when I need something very specific, like going into OCR worlds for the three K I knew that the first climb was going to be like, uh, 
19% or something based on like our calculations. So I did intervals on my treadmill at 19% specific. I did that for a few weeks leading into the world uh, to worlds and it, and it worked out well. I got on that climb and it was exactly what I expected. And I ran up it and I felt fantastic. It felt, but, it felt the same. You're like, Oh, this is, I know what this feeling is. Like, this is just what I've been preparing for. Like it worked. Yeah, dude. I translated. felt fan- I felt great on that climb. Nice. And, um, what the fact that I got to the top of the climb first was like great for me. Like I knew if I got to the top of the climb first, the rest of the race was over. Mm-hmm. So that was like a key thing for me. So I really focused on it. Um, but a lot of my workouts are on trail. Like I have different places where I'll do different workouts, um, with different like goals in mind, like hill repeats. I have a few different spots that I'll go to, but a lot of my workouts have been integrated into, um, like a 80 minute workout. Okay. Like I'll do 20 minutes of easy running to start. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do like a couple 30 to 45 second efforts with recovery built in. And then we're going to move into, you know, three to five minute efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was like a, a common workout that was thrown in um, by my coach, Megan. And it's been a, it, it was good. Like almost all of my workouts were kind of integrated into like a whole format where like programmed rest and warm up in a full run. Um, but I did a lot of hill repeats as well. Um, but I would do almost all of that on trail. Like that was, that was pretty specific. Yeah. And, uh, uh that makes sense to, so what were the pace? It would just work from like really fast, like 30, 45 seconds into something that would be like 5k pace, 5k effort. You think for those three to five minute ones and, doing one workout per week like that were you able to did you feel like your intensity was able to reach higher levels than if you were doing uh two or three quality workouts per week like did you feel like you were able to hammer the one workout pretty much every time i was rarely going like really hard though like Hmm. a lot of times because so many of our races like even though it's only a 10k it's still an hour long 10k it's Mm -hmm. not like it's so we're not like moving super fast a lot of times especially with they don't really put us on trails they put us on like you know they're running us through like bushes and bushwhacking like random bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah so you can't like even if you could move really quickly like a lot of the terrain isn't really permitting of it so it was um rarely really all out efforts like that going into ocr worlds we did some track work because it's just good for me mentally to do that mm. um but no a lot of it was based on effort and not really pacing, you know, cause you can't mm-hmm. on the trail. Right. Um, but yeah, like there were a few times that we would hit like 5k effort for like, you know, two to three minute ones, like really short ones. Um, and I believe in doing a lot less work at altitude when it comes to intensity. Um, like I say, if you wanted to do a normal workout for you, would be like five by mile. I'd say bump that down to like a five by 1200 or a five mm-hmm. by thousand instead. And you'll probably get the same effort or the, the same like benefits from it up here. Cause my, my track workouts are at 7,500 feet. Like that's where I'm doing my track workouts. So it seems it's, impossible. It's, <laughs> it's rough, dude. Like I've never been like gassed after four hundreds at like, you know, uh, five flat pace. Like usually I hit that. I'm like, all right, good. Pretty good. Do a short recovery and go into it. Now I'm like, I hit like three, 300 meters in three fifty, And I'm like, dude, this is something else. How do you, with training that high, how do you know it's working? <laughs> you know, like you and don't. You've been, 
and you've been at altitude what for for a, a year a little, a little over, over a year. year yeah are you yeah like do you have a good sense of what it's like i mean a year and like a whole cycle whole season through i don't think it doesn't seem like enough time almost like do um, you, do, yeah like, i'd how do you say it's gonna take a while to keep adapting right like aerobic yeah. aerobic stuff like lower intensity things came along pretty quickly like i'd say like a month or two mm-hmm. um but even now like i cannot go run like a track workout and hit paces and be like yeah i'm in pretty good shape like i have no idea like even when i'm <laughs> like in really good shape and i'm fast i'm just not as fast as i would be at sea level and it's kind of frustrating it's so weird like uh, all of my stuff i used to do track workouts every week every tuesday with Rich Diaz and I could always like, you know, gauge my fitness based on how these paces felt, if it was comfortable, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And up here, it's like, you don't have that. You have to just trust the process. And it was kind of scary at first, like going into some of these bigger races, like, um, earlier in the year, going into like Asheville and Jacksonville, those were kind of scary because I didn't know what I could actually do. And, and if I could actually hold these paces, um, I usually felt good after I like, got down to a lower altitude and ran for a minute. And I was like, okay, like this is really good. <laughs> oh, it's working. Yeah. Yeah. But it was really nerve wracking because I can't test myself. I don't have like, even now a year in, I can't tell you like any benchmarks that I know are like good markers of my fitness up here because there's even differences like right here at the house where it's 7,500 feet. But then you know, 6,000 feet feels so much different than 7,500 feet and you'll perform differently too. Like I had a, uh, I went up and ran with Johnny one day up in Boulder and they're mm-hmm. at 5,000 feet and I was running and I was like, man, I feel so good. My heart rate's so low. And I was like, this is just a great day. Like this is the best run I've had in months. And I asked him what the altitude was and we checked and it was like 5,000 feet. I'm like, okay, well that makes sense. Mm. Like most of my runs are pretty high up here. Yeah. So, but it, it is kind of scary not knowing exactly what you're capable of because uh you just can't do intensity like how you used to and i think about that too because yeah like the intense work you even said the mention like 400s like feeling gassed on that so there's it seems like there's a limiter on how fast you could actually run at altitude so and i guess this might actually parlay into like the mechanics piece as well because if you can't if if you can't reach the levels of what you could potentially reach in terms of speed, right? So say like, yeah, 400s or 500s or 600s, like you, you're going to have to slow down more than what like mechanically you'd actually be able to do. Mm-hmm. How do you, is there, do you do like shorter, faster stuff just to make sure you are working the, the mechanic piece to, to your advantage or are you doing specific skill work to make sure that you are able to still run fast because of your workouts, even your shorter workouts, it doesn't seem like you can really tap into the speed that you're, you're capable of. So a big thing for me, um, is what I like to refer to as mechanical threshold. I think rich would refer to it the same way. Um, it's basically the point at which your body starts to kind of fall apart. What the speed at which your mechanics are no longer like perfect or as well as, or as good as they can be. When you start to overstride, when you start to have to turn your legs over really, really fast. Um, like I'm not super married to the idea of 180 at all mm-hmm. times. Right. But um, when you start pushing up above 180, uh, up to like 190 and stuff, 
you're just not as efficient as you were. I think 180 is really important at higher speeds, not at lower speeds. Hmm. Um, like when, when I'm running around, most of the time I'm at like 170 or something. That's like a relaxed jog for me. That's where I'm at. Um, but I feel like 180 should be used as a limiter uh, for what you should allow yourself to get up to at race efforts. That's when it's like a really key thing because now you're hitting the ground. You're turning your legs over less amount, but you're moving at a faster speed. So less cost, less contraction along the way. But the way that I like to work it out is – um, through some workouts throughout the week, like easy runs, um, we'll have like hill strides or strides after the run. And sometimes I'll trade that in for doing um, kind of motor skill development where sometimes I'll do it on the road or sometimes I'll hop on my treadmill and you start at a relaxed pace, bring it up, get faster and faster and faster until you feel that point at which the wheels start to fall off turning my legs over really quick or I'm starting to overstride to try to maintain this like slower cadence. And then I back it down. Hmm. I, re- I rest, I recover and I do it again and I'll do that a few times. So you're constantly um, pre- So like the speed is constantly going up until you feel yes. like there's a point. Okay. That, that's going to fall off. Yeah. So I accelerate and accelerate and accelerate. It's usually probably like if you're doing it on a track, it should take you like two to 300 meters to get up to the point where you're like falling apart. Some people hit it sooner. Um, but I can move at really, really fast paces and still maintain good mechanics. Like I can get up to like 15 miles an hour and still be like hitting correct ground contact, um, not overstriding and still being around like a 180 cadence. And that's the goal. So the idea is, um, to push that threshold higher and higher, so that when you relax into what would be race efforts, it's effortless. It's easy. When I hit 15 miles an hour with perfect mechanics, going 10 or 11 miles per hour is very attainable, very relaxed. And like mechanics don't really become a factor anymore as far as maintaining it. This is interesting, right? So this is like the, the pretty common one that people use is like a math test, right? They'll take their 180 minus their age and then they'll just run at that and eventually their pace will get faster at that same heart rate. So right. you're actually doing something similar to that, but with not sprinting, but with just like, like your your fast mechanics. So like you want to keep the effort the same, but your pace will continuously go up. So that, but it's more of an intuitive feel or are you setting a metronome? Are you, how do you like, do you I'll, just, I'll you set just a metronome for some of these workouts. Like, um, I'll set a metronome if I'm doing like specifically these really fast intervals. Yes. Cause I want to have a limiter on how fast I turn my legs over. Right. Uh, that's the ultimate thing. Um, because yeah, I totally lost my train of thought, but like, yeah, talk about yeah, metronomes. Yeah. It's making yeah, sure that that's, you're not that's where exactly. So if your mechanics can, handle such a fast pace and you can still run well, you're never going to get to a point where you have to sacrifice mechanics in a race or anything like that, unless it's a final sprint, right? If you're sprinting a hundred meters to the finish and you're, you're duking it out with somebody, then, you know, all goes out the window, just move as fast as you can to get there. Right. You're not mm-hmm. worrying about efficiency anymore. Right. Uh, I want to be able to, uh, lower my cost of work at higher efforts. And then when I have to reduce that, to say like an, an hour long effort, those mechanics are so dialed in, so effortless that yeah. I don't have to 
have to worry about it. So what I'm thinking about this then is when your your cadence doesn't change, like so speed's typically like like a formula, right? It's like cadence times power output times like stride length. So when your 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 cadence is staying the same, but the speed is going up, is your do you feel like your stride is expanding or you're just able to generate more power? And is are you thinking about either of these things or you're just trying to kind of Well, in order for you to maintain the same cadence, your stride has to get longer, right? right? The amount of ground that you're covering increases with each stride. So, uh, but it is a, f- a function of uh, how much uh, force production you can you can create, how much yeah. force you can produce, right? And I, I think of it a lot of times as um, the knee drive is kind of your gas pedal, right? Uh, as you lift your knee higher, you're automatically going to Put more force into the ground you have the weight of your leg coming down but also you have more time for that contraction to pull down and hit the ground mm-hmm. harder mm-hmm. Um, and that's naturally going to lengthen your stride like you'll see a lot of people when they start to want to go faster they start to run like their knees don't come up at all they just start to kick their ankles out in front and then they start overstriding. right people's knees usually barely get past like this part right when you see people with a huge hip angle and they get their knees like almost up to 90 degrees then you know they're like they're doing this kind of work and they know what they're doing. Like what's like a, like a hundred meter sprint specialist, right? Like when they're running, it almost looks like they're doing high knees sometimes and they're just kind of like floating totally. across. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's all about having that drive. And is that, so are you consciously thinking of that as the, in these mechanical threshold workouts, is that your main cue is knee drive, like lift? That's, that's and drive for me down? personally, that is a thing that I need to work on. Um, Cause I have really tight hip flexors and possibly like so as as well then mm-hmm. um and it, and it causes me to have an anterior pelvic tilt um once i get up to higher paces so i have to focus on that a lot um and when i let it go it's super obvious like you'll see me like like my pelvis is all tilted forward and i can't lift my knees as lower high as back i want is, your lower back yep. is arched and do you get totally, back pain totally. then does it like hurt i used to get that a lot in like fast efforts like track workouts or like an all-out mile my low back would be killing me Huh, for like uh-huh. next day or two. Um, I, I worked on it more and I, it's still like a work in progress, like progress in this like uh, realm for me for some reason is extremely slow, but I'm putting effort into it to try to like yeah. figure it out. Like flexibility and, and, and mobility can be forever. <laughs> like we talk about aerobic yeah. taking a long time. Flexibility takes so long and so much consistent effort around it. Um, mm-hmm. So when you're doing, when you're helping people with this, are you doing that? Cause you got that sweet treadmill. Um, you got the, the black force compound where you're, you're bringing some people on. And, and I know you uh, are talking about some off season things. This is a good time to practice these mechanical parts because if you need, if you need to develop your energy systems for races that you are looking to perform well into, like you should probably, you, you should probably take the mechanics that you're going to be racing with into those workouts, right? It's, it's going to be hard to kind of work on those things in tandem, Totally. So there's going to be probably a point where you need to work on your mechanics. They'll probably get worse before they get better and then they'll get better and then you won't have to worry about it. And so like this off season, right. like you pointed out, is a great time to kind of dive into this avenue because there are there shouldn't be races looming. This should just be a way to kind of develop and, and kind of raise your ceiling. And so when you're when you're checking people out when or when you're helping them with their uh, the mechanics of things, where are you kind of starting? Like what, what kind of things are you really helping? Or what are some common threads that you see with runners that they 
typically might need to work on more. Are you helping runners and OCR athletes or just whoever, whoever wants to run faster pretty much? Um, mostly runners and OCR athletes. Um, I've worked a little bit with some younger guys that are, uh, you know, doing like football and stuff like that. And that's, that's a completely different like style, uh, mm-hmm. to be dealing with, but, um, mainly runners and OCR athletes, mostly OCR athletes so far and like a couple runners, but First thing, um, like main things that I like to focus on is uh, ground contact point relative to the rest of your body. Like mm. I want to get it closest to under center of mass. Um, and then uh, the contact point on the foot itself, right? Mm. Like correcting a heel strike or landing too far, uh, basically back on the foot, midfoot to forefoot is what we try to encourage. And there's a few different like cues you can do for people that like stimulate those things, but those are the main things that happen. Now there are like the people that start to have lateral issues, like twisting in the upper body and they start like, um, you know, to overpronate and to supinate before making contact. And that's usually result of twisting and overstriding together. Over, yeah. Um, but those things are different, but the main things that we try to focus on is basically moving ground contact as close as we can get it underneath center of mass, right? So that people aren't working against themselves with every step, because when people overstride, it's basically breaking. It's very slow, or it's, I mean, it's like, it doesn't affect you that much, right? It's not like you're going to stop every time you hit the ground, but it is basically you're breaking with every step and you have to reaccelerate and you're losing uh, you're losing energy, you're losing efficiency, and ultimately you're, you're losing speed. So uh, trying to move ground contact underneath the body so that people can only propel themselves forward versus slowing down with every step. Uh, and that's like a hard thing for people to get. It's, it's, a, it's, it's awkward. People feel like they're falling over. Um, and getting comfortable with that is it's a little bit of a process, but that's, like, that's the main thing. If there's one thing that you want to adjust and try to perfect – that's it. What are, what are, yeah. Cause I, I mean, these are just patterns that have been ingrained in, in people since elementary school, right? right? They haven't, haven't done anything different when they run. This is just how they do it. They haven't put much thought into it before. And then there's just things just need to be undone. These unconscious movements start to need to be a little bit more conscious. And like, if it's not this mental energy spent to do that, it will regress pretty quick. So what is how how are what are some cues or some practices that you use to to help people find that contact point that's appropriate and how how would they know if it's where it needs to be? Um, one thing that I found is like when you hit correct ground contact point, especially at a faster speed, it feels like this float, and as soon as someone I have on the treadmill feels that they know mm-hmm. it and they, they, their eyes go wide and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm doing it. And they, they realize it. Mm-hmm. And then once you felt that once you strive for it always in like every session. So my goal is to get people to a point where they feel that for themselves mm-hmm. and they know what it is because then you always want to feel that. Like I remember the first time that I nailed that and it was like a life changing moment for me. And I always strive to feel that again. Um, it was actually in 2019 before race uh, we did like a form checkup with rich and I did some intervals just to work on mechanics and something just clicked. Like it was a, a beautiful experience, honestly. So, hmm. but I'll do a few like different drills with people uh, off the treadmill and then move on. 
Um, one of the biggest key things that I've done um, is just putting some resistance around their waist while mm-hmm. running on the treadmill. Um, and that cleans up 90% of what people have going on. Um, and that's to, to help like resistance. It helps like facilitate the movement of their hips, right? As opposed to using everything like driving from their ankles and their calves and things like to, to propel themselves forward. Is that the idea with resistance around so, the hips? Uh, resistance around the waist, it forces you to lean here. Uh, a lot of people try to like, if they ever do it, putting it around their shoulders, they like hinge at the hips and lean yeah. forward from there. So we want to like facilitate this lean from the ankles, right? Where the whole body's straight. Um, and also for people that overstride, if you try to re- overstride and pull yourself forward, like most people that like heel strike, they pull themselves forward. We're just trying to get people to only push off behind them hit the ground underneath the body, and push off behind them. So naturally with that resistance, your body doesn't like to do that because then it's starting to like try to pull with your hamstrings and stuff and it sucks. So with that resistance around the waist, you facilitate this nice forward lean and then people start pushing off and their ground contact will usually come right underneath the body. Hmm. Um, and it kind of works itself out. So after doing a few um, like intervals like that and just introducing that to their body, We'll do, uh, well, they'll run for like a few seconds with that resistance around their waist. I pull it off mm. and they get back right on the treadmill and try to like emulate that same exact feeling that they were having. Because um, ultimately it's like, it's like physics. We, we don't want to be breaking every time. So if I can get to where every time your foot hits the ground, the only thing that we're causing is acceleration, then that's Your body's going to work way less hard and hmm. you're just going to find more efficiency. That's a, that's a good primer exercise, right? To like have some resistance and just like as like a warm up, just like do a couple of minutes like that, just to, you can't, I like the idea, like you said, like having it feel like that float and not necessarily having that breaking or like that, a lot of times I think it can manifest in like pain almost when people hit, it's like almost like a shot that they have each totally. time. So when they get that, if you hit that sweet spot, it shouldn't feel like pain, right? Like it yeah. Shouldn't. Because you're now loading your musculature when you overstride, uh, a lot of times that impact is just taken right into your joints and your bone structure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that it, it also, rather than just being efficiency and speed, it's also about longevity. Like when you strike the ground right underneath your body, you load the correct muscles, you load that musculature, the joints are engaged. Everything's correct. When you're striking way out in front of your body, you usually have this extended knee and you take like the first part of impact goes right into your knee and your hip. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's brutal on the body. People do this thousands of times every time they run. Most people. And then, and then yeah. when they're older, they're like, oh, yeah, I can't run anymore. You know, I ran too much when I was younger, my knees. And it's like, that's not, that shouldn't necessarily be the thing. That's what I think too. And like, that's definitely, a, if you, there's chronic injuries, that's where I'll try to guide people to. Like, I'm not great at like figuring out the mechanics of it all, like how you would be with like these drills and like these, uh, and with the treadmill and all that. But, when it needs to, when there's just injuries all the time, it's like, you should probably change your running form. <laughs> that sure. I, I think that that's, that's a big part. Um, so tell me a little bit more about what you got going on with the, uh, the, the rest of, resting metabolic rate testing, or you got to, do you have the VO2 max thing up and running or what do you got going for like some of this metabolic stuff? So uh, currently I am sending the unit back to the company and I'm upgrading to a, a brand new unit. Nice. Um, like the O2 sensor, was a little messed up. So I was either gonna have to replace the O2 sensor or just upgrade to a whole new unit. So I was like, why don't I just get like the latest and greatest thing? So 
hopefully about mid-December, I'll be able to get some testing back up and running. Um, but yeah, I'll be set up for VO2 and RMR. But I went with the Pinoe device, which is really cool because it's portable. Like I can bring mm. it anywhere. We can do it. Te- like I, I worked with Rich and with uh, the Cardio Coach machine, which is really cool. Um, it's probably like the industry standard, but it comes with this huge hose that you always has to be attached to the big like device. So you can't really go anywhere, um, you know, do other kinds of tests. But like for me as a tool, like specifically to me, like if there's something I want to accomplish, I can put that mask on and go do whatever I was like setting out to do. You can go outside? I can go outside. I could, wow. if, like if, if my whole goal this year was to like set the new FKT up Mount Hermon, I could take this device, run up Mount Hermon with it and get like exact feedback of what my body's doing on that grade at that heart rate you know, what my respiratory exchange is looking like, everything like that. So that's pretty cool. Um, But yeah, I'm trying to like, just like facilitate that. I think it's a great tool that a lot of people don't like um, work with. And I also want to start getting into lactate. I feel like lactate is like the coolest thing to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a fascinating subject and that could be a whole podcast on its own, but I am going to get a lactate meter and start like experimenting Uh. with that a little bit um, because everybody is so different when it comes to lactate, especially like the concentrations you can handle in your blood and still operate. Um, and, and like, what's giving you that, like where, like what speeds are you're getting anaerobic mm-hmm. or staying aerobic? Like it, that's all based off personalization off of, of each individual. That would be really cool to have some information like that. And that's like a, is that like a, what's available for that now? Just, is it still like a blood test? Like a prick, prick. Your yeah. Finger? You have to prick the finger at different, um, intensity so being on the treadmill like when you just prick the finger real quick take a sample at different speeds different heart rates um which would be really cool we could do both tests at the same time like i could run a vo2 max test and a lactate test at the same time which would be really cool uh-huh. um but yeah dude lactate's so cool and especially like some people are better at utilizing it as a fuel source than other people mm-hmm. like and that's the crazy part for me like, and like figuring out when those people who do like use it as fuel better it's like okay now do you need more aerobic work to prop this up higher? Are you running out of gas or like, do you need more speed work to produce more of it? Like, so you can run better on it. So like, I feel like that's that like the best indicator of how your workouts are, are, are helping you, you know, like other stuff, like the heart rate things. And all, and, the, and I, I want to ask you about that. Like, how, how are you using the metabolic testing, like for your own personal practice and what kind of information can people are, like, will they receive and how is it useful for, like training and things. Well, so resting tests, like a resting metabolic tape. Right. Get my hand out of your mouth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, a resting metabolic rate test is basically going to tell you where your fuel sources are coming from throughout the day mm. and um, uh, how many calories you burn per day. So basically it's more for like a nutrition plan and to right. see like what energy systems you're utilizing throughout the day. Like, um, most athletes like us, like we're burning a decent amount of fat during the day because that's just the energy system that we've developed the most. Um, the VO2 test, like I don't recommend everyone go for like a like a VO2 max, like to put yourself at like the maximum effort because it's pretty painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but for off-season training like this, um, wanting to do a lot of aerobic development in the off-season and building volume, that sort of thing. Using respiratory exchange, we can tell um, what fuel sources you're utilizing at different intensities, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to find out like when you're aerobic, 
when you start to transition to primarily anaerobic, when you go fully anaerobic, so we can know these different heart rate zones for specific training. Mm. And so uh, we want to see where you're the most efficient utilizing fat, and that's usually one of the best places for your body to be as far as um, aerobic training, so mm -hmm. that you're stimulating your aerobic energy system to its maximum, right? Mm -hmm. because we want more mitochondria, we want bigger ones, and that's fat utilization. And through respiratory exchange, you can kind of tell um, which energy systems you're utilizing at different times. And this is really helpful because I feel like that's the piece that a lot of up-and-coming endurance athletes or newer athletes to the endurance space kind of miss is like how easy their easy run should be to develop their aerobic system. They're going anaerobic even when their runs feel easy. It's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 you're just missing the spot in, in, in the training completely. So this is just really helps you figure like, this is where you need to be so that you get the work. So you get the adaptations that you are intending to get. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it, it can be like, um, almost offensive to some like good athletes. Like when you're a really good athlete and you're performing really well. And then I say, you know, you need to be like running a lot slower. Like you need to get your heart rate down to 135 in order for you to be and they're like dude that's like practically walking for me right so it's like well then walk <laughs> yeah yeah and and i mean that's like that's a really common thing in a lot of endurance athletes it's called aerobic deficiency syndrome right like people never develop that energy system as well as it needs to be developed so most people are anaerobic uh, a lot of the time and mm -hmm. that's where lactate is also an interesting thing because how should you be able to sustain anaerobic output for so long but then that goes into like lactate tolerance and people being able to handle that sort of thing. It's a, it's a really interesting and weird, uh, subject there. How everything kind of intertwines there. And if you could have, there's, there's not a great way right now where they can intertwine in terms of like the feedback that we can get as athletes, right? There's like just gaps in kind of all of these things and like practicality purposes. So yeah, if you can figure out a way to like put that all together, cause even like the heart rate stuff, like it, there's, outside factors. Right. But if it's lactate and you're testing lactate, like that's just what it is, you know, yeah. where if it's like heart rate, my, my heart rate zone is typically here, but you get poor sleep or whatever, drink too much coffee or whatever it is, you know, totally. it might not be the main thing that's making the lactate change. But like if you're measuring the lactate, that's it. So that, that is going to be really cool. And hopefully they can, is there any developments in like not having and having it be a little bit more mobile, a little bit easier to kind of figure out, or is it just, um, Honestly, the technology really has not developed as much. Like, still, like a lactate meter, it's this little meter. It looks like what uh, a glucose meter would be. And you got to prick the finger, put it on the tab, put it into the little device, and get your readout um, in however many like millimoles. So, uh, I don't know. I, I hope maybe there's something I missed. I, I haven't bought a meter yet, but I'd like to get something that's nice and easy to use but even like some of the best coaches in the world like you see pictures of them like doing a workout with athletes and then they go over and like prick the athlete's finger to get like the little test strip right right just a way i mean if you have those resources and if you and you're going to be meticulous enough about it and like you're able to have access to like your athletes in person i mean it's a pretty cool thing to, to go and like and, and practice so that'll be cool when you get that up and running um so where can kind of people check you out, man, if they want to come, come get some testing done or what's that process looking like for you? Um, blackforceperformancetraining.com. Uh, check it out. Website's up and running. I got everything there. I mean, we are at a little bit of standstill right now until I get my unit back from Pinoy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully mid December and then moving into next year, like we're going to be fully up and running with testing, um, looking to partner with like a facility or two out here, do some testing kind of around. And, and it's really cool. Cause I I'm mobile, right? Like I can go test. Like it's ultimately it is best to test on my treadmill cause it's the most like capable thing. And I have, uh, you know, all the information from the test right in front of you on the TV screen. So we're looking at, you know, uh, RER and heart rate and, you know, VCO2 and everything right on the screen right there so that we can like work. It's the you best test place. around. You could like turn some screws a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, that's the best place to do it. But I am mobile so I can, you know, move around and go to different gyms and stuff like that. Put people on rowers and ski ergs and get real specific to like whatever your goals are, which is cool. So that is cool. Yeah, because that's that's something else with lactate too. I don't think it, I think it's very specific to the um to the, the the type of stimulus you're getting. So like your readout might be different on a skier than from running. Totally. Uh, so again, that's another thing. It's just a little bit more nuanced to it, but it's cool. You're gonna have the, the capabilities to test different things and be on be on the move. And yeah, you can go to gyms and just like be in front of people. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be amazed at like the different scores you'll get same athlete on like, you know, doing a test on a bike versus running because muscle recruitment and power output is just completely different. That's what I think with flat running and and hill running too. It's like, it's just a different thing. Not the same thing. Um, Cool, man. Oh, can we see and expect to see in Jacksonville or or what's next? That's where you'll be. Dude, I'm really excited for the U S national series next year. I think it's going to be one of the most competitive ever. Um, with all the new faces and some old faces coming back uh, to really throw down in the series. I think it's going to be really, really exciting. and I'm, I'm stoked to get to be a part of it. So uh, I'll be at the series. I'll be gunning to uh, defend the title. Do we know if it's going to be three or five yet? Are you hearing rumors? Do we have anything definitive? I can't get any information out of Spartan. Uh, <laughs> can't even get a paycheck out of Spartan at this point. But right. hopefully um, we'll have some information soon. Uh, those last two races will be real key. Uh, to know what we're getting into, um, I mean, what do you think they'll? What do you think they'll be? Just speculation, hard to say. But it's all like, I mean, they're all on the coasts right now, so I'm hoping we find something kind of in the middle. Uh, I think Asheville is a really cool venue. Mm. I hope we the would new do one, something the, like that. the new the one, mill, the new one's really mill cool. race or whatever. Um, mill Spring. It was really fast, but there were still like some short climbs that would just kind of like smack you like you'd be running flat for a while and then all of a sudden you'd climb for like 30 seconds on like a 20 30 percent grade and then you go back to what you're doing so it's kind of cool um but i have no idea where they're going to put it i don't know what the timeline's going to be either mm-hmm. uh, like if they're going to run it as late as they did this year or if we're going to have it earlier like through the first half of the year and then you know switch into the other championship events either yeah, way though be- it'll be interesting to see and I'm hoping that they do that thing where they do push more money into the series. Like that's been the rumor, right? Is that they're going to stop giving yeah. money to regional races and, and punch more into like the championship stuff. I hope they do that. I think that that's just going to be better. I hope they put some more money into the broadcasting and everything. I think the Big Bear broadcast was really cool. Um, but I think like that's where it's really going to make a difference as far as like developing the sport is just being able to get more eyes and put together like broadcasts that are exciting. And how to consume it want to watch exactly yeah, so totally i'd love to see like there's going to be a lot of money on the table that like from all of those events no prize payout for all of those local events so i hope we see like 
some good broadcasting because that just helps us as athletes. Like we shouldn't be making money necessarily from the races themselves. Like we should be able to make money from sponsors, but if no yeah. one can see what we're doing, that's just impossible. So I'd love to see Spartan take most of the money that they're pulling and put it directly into media and broadcasting of those events and make it like a spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. It'd be interesting to see how they, how they cut together the Spartan games too, like to see if there are, that's been, that's one a gripe that I have with it. It's like, and even in the past when they did like the NBC races, they would just kind of make it like they didn't really show the races as much. And not like highlighting the sport. They're kind of kind of highlighting a story or like yeah. kind of manufacturing a story. So like, just show the sport. Like like the people watch football because like it's the sport and they create the stories outside of it and they can talk about the stories later, but the actual event is compelling. So I like I'm with right. it. Like if they could show ways to like you said, if they would have caught that descent that you had or something like that, showing more of the races and like having it be a story that we can put together as consumers, uh, I think that'd be, that'd be awesome. But totally. We'll that's, see. that's where I'm at. That'd be super cool. All right, dude. I'll let you roll. Again, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, congrats again. Awesome. Love, love seeing it. Epic way to finish the season. And uh, I'm sure you're on to some good stuff for the next year. So, um, dude, keep it up. I'm excited, man. It's going to be fun. All right, man. I'll tell you soon. See ya.